It's been a hard year, but for tens of thousands of Oregonians, these are desperate times. And amid the COVID-19 pandemic, the ensuing recession, and the state's wildfires, help has been even harder to find. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Social service groups across our state that provide critical aid to people experiencing homelessness, domestic violence survivors, and countless others need help and financial support more than ever. Up next, we're highlighting several beneficiaries of our annual Season of Sharing fundraiser. Oregonian staffers vetted and profiled a dozen organizations this year, along with the people they've helped. You'll hear from four of my colleagues from different parts of the newsroom. I'm Amy Wang, and I'm the newsletters and special projects editor. I'm Graham Butler, and I'm the editor for the Daily Life team. My name is Aaron Fentress, and I'm the Trailblazers beat writer for The Oregonian. So my name is Jayathi Ramakrishnan, and I'm a breaking news and night cops reporter at The Oregonian. You can find all of our season of sharing stories plus a donation link at OregonLive.com slash sharing. First, Amy Wong. Amy, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So normally we have so many people in Oregon who are struggling, but this year is an extraordinary time. Can you talk about how you approached our annual fundraiser this year, given um, given this year and what it means for so many tens of thousands of Oregonians? Sure. Uh, we have been doing Season of Sharing for several decades now as an institution. Season of Sharing is actually our charitable arm. Each year, the Season of Sharing Board of Directors looks through the applications that we receive with an eye to the moment, as you said. And so this year, we really wanted to focus on a range of needs because, you know, the pandemic has touched everything. Uh, there isn't something that it hasn't affected. And so we tried to cast a fairly wide net. And so folks who follow the campaign will see requests to help people who have suffered from this year's wildfires in Southern Oregon, people who have uh, financial health needs, uh, people who are struggling with trauma issues or who have uh, felt the impact of trauma situations. Uh, and then people facing all the challenges that they would normally face, but that are a little magnified right now. I'm curious how many organizations applied this year, and was it more than in past years? That's a good question. I would say the the number of organizations that applied probably remained steady compared to previous years, which was a little surprising to me. But uh, we did increase the number of organizations that we featured in this year's campaign. Last year, we had eight, and this year, we are featuring 12. Broadly speaking, Amy, how, how important are outside donations to the groups of social services and agencies that, that we're highlighting this year? A number of these organizations rely very heavily on outside donations and um, grants. They don't get uh, necessarily get a lot of government contracts, some of these groups. Um, the Rogue Valley Relief Fund is a brand new organization, mm -hmm. and so they definitely are relying heavily on outside donations. Um, one organization, Blanchet House, I think they're uh, reliant almost entirely on uh, donations. What's our goal this year and how close are we to achieving it? I guess we're talking on Wednesday afternoon um, for transparency, but um, how close are we? 
Well, the campaign runs until the end of the year. People have until December 31st to donate. On our GoFundMe page, we set a $20,000 goal, and we are about 70% of the way there. So I'm grateful to all the people who have donated already. And then, of course, we have our... um concurrent print campaign where we're running the stories in the print Oregonian and people can donate through a mail-in coupon that's printed in the paper. I don't have the numbers for that part of the campaign. Um, just kind of very generally speaking, when someone chooses to donate to one of these groups, what, what does that mean? Um, you know, what, what can they do with, with the, that money? So the donations all go into a general season of sharing fund. Um, this year, we're allowing people to earmark some of their donations um, to certain organizations that are asking for that option. But generally, the money all goes into one big season of sharing fund. And then we distribute it after the campaign. The money is distributed as unrestricted grants. So the receiving organizations can do whatever they want to do with that money. Um, if you read the individual stories, you will see at the end of each story that there is a list titled what your donation can do to help. And it gives an example of how the organization would use the donation. So, for example, um, an organization that serves families that have uh, transportation or food needs might give them gift cards. If you're the Hollywood Senior Center, for example, the money that's donated might go to support a virtual exercise class for seniors. This is very uh, elemental, tangible things that make a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. What else uh, should listeners know about Season of Sharing? Or, you know, again, this year has been such a, a difficult year for so many people. What Anything else you'd want to say? I would say that any amount is much appreciated and can help. Um, we're, we're always very appreciative that people would choose to designate some of their money for Season of Sharing. And that's especially so this year when so many people are experiencing their own financial hardships I think another thing that's important to know for people who like to know how their money is being spent is that there are almost no overhead costs associated with season of sharing because we donate those administrative costs. So virtually all of your donation will go directly to the groups that we've selected to benefit. Well, thank you so much for leading this effort and for taking time to talk about it. Thank you, Andrew. Grant, you profiled a charity that is near and dear to a, a region in the state that I grew up in and is very important to me. Can, what can you tell us about um, the organization you profiled for Season of Sharing? The Rogue Valley Relief Fund is a brand new uh organization that was created in the wake of the Almeida fire, which in a matter of hours swept through the southern Oregon towns of Phoenix and Talent and destroyed thousands and thousands of homes and families lost everything there. And within a couple of days of the fire, a group of nonprofit organizations in Southern Oregon who normally deal with things like climate change and racial inequality decided mm -hmm. that they needed to band together to create the Rogue Valley Relief Fund so that they could get aid as quickly as possible to families that had lost everything. And the family that I talked to was a family, the Garcia family, that l lived in Phoenix. And basically, they had 
a few minutes of warning to get out of their house and get get as far away as they could. And they returned the next day to find that they had lost every single thing um, in their house and a second car that had burned down. And they really were just starting over. And the, the mother of the family that I talked to, she said, you know, it's not just us who have lost everything, we've lost our entire community as well. So um, it's really interesting to see how quickly an organization could come together and get help directly to people who need it the most at a time when they're feeling this, this tremendous despair and loss. You talked about how quickly they've set up and how much money have they raised so far? And do you have a sense of how many uh, families they've helped? Yeah, they've they've raised thousands and thousands of dollars. I don't know the exact amount at this point. And Season of Sharing certainly is helping raise money for them. But they've been able to provide for thousands of families. They've been able to provide meals. They've been able to provide um, housing assistance. The family that I talked to, they helped them find an apartment that they could live in in the short term to to get through this period of time. Um, They're providing meal cards for people so that they can go shop for groceries and other essential goods that they 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 need at the time so they're, they they've been able to raise quite a bit of money and help thousands of families and what's interesting is they're 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 give, they're continuing to give meals out three meals a day out at these aid assistance centers that they've got so um it's an ongoing need and they're continuing to meet that need yeah months out from the fires um that need hasn't gone away and those families are are still hurting yeah if readers donate to Season of Sharing, what do their donations do for uh, this fund? A donation of $25 can help give a family um, much-needed toiletries, daily household items that they need. A gift of $100 can give them an overnight stay at a hotel or a motel, um, or could it go towards providing um, a month's rent at an apartment. The, the family's lost everything. So we're talking about the need for clothing. We're talking about the need for food for pets. Um, we're talking about the, the need for gasoline for a car so that they can go and apply for a job if, if, if their workplace burned down. And in many cases, that's what's interesting is that like several of the organizations that um banded together to form the Rogue Valley Relief Fund, their mm-hmm. their own offices burned to the ground so that they're they're trying to figure out how they can help people while not not having uh the the essential equipment that they need to provide these services. And and this is all happening obviously amid uh a pandemic as well. Yeah, and with with bad weather setting in, um it's the timing is terrible. So, yeah, I've been writing uh, stories for the season of sharing campaign for the better part of two decades. And, you know, every time I write a season of sharing story, I become convinced that, you know, this is one of the most important ones because, that you know, there, there's so much need in, in our communities in normal times. But I, no one ever expected a year like this. And no one ever expected, you know, the, the pandemic and then wildfires, all of these things happening at the same time. So, you know, as a veteran contributor to the season of, can, of sharing campaign, um, I really can say now more than ever, every, every donation really, really helps. Well, Grant, thank you so much for highlighting uh, this really important work that's going on down in, in the Rogue Valley. Um, and thanks for talking about it. Thanks for putting a spotlight on the work. Let's take a break and then hear more about the Oregonians season of sharing. 
Aaron, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. Sure. You profiled a uh, charity that a, a lot of folks in the Portland area might know from seeing their facility downtown. Um, can you tell us about Blanche House and, and what you learned about them? Sure. You know, it's interesting. When I was given this assignment, um, it sounded really familiar. And I actually think I wrote a season of sharing on Blanche, like maybe 15, 20 years ago during my first <laughs> run at the Oregonian. <laughs> uh, so it was like these these memories of doing that came back. So I was pretty familiar with what they they do uh, for the community, but uh, there was a lot of details, of course, that I, I didn't remember. So um, I had the opportunity to go out and, and uh, speak with a young man named Jordan Shirazi, who who lives at Blanche. And I talked to their director, Scott Kerman, about what they do for mainly homeless and drug addicted or alcohol um alcoholic males primarily and, and a lot of them live on the streets but uh yeah they they provide a place for them to to live and uh to you know sober up and to help uh transition them back into society and um you went out to did you go out to Yamhill to to talk to No Jordan? no we did it over the phone because of because of uh you know covid-19 <laughs> and stuff like that so I made the calls yeah. over the phone just safer but I uh, know I spoke to them on, I spoke to them on the phone extensively So a, a lot of folks might not know that the Blanche house which has been around for decades has a a farm out in Yamhill County right. uh, what can you tell us about how that fits into what they do Yeah so they have their main house where uh where people obviously can can stay and live and they do a lot of, a lot with food services there etc and of course with the pandemic the amount of uh food they've been needing to provide for people who lost their jobs or what have you has just gone up exponentially like it's just incredible how many uh, more meals they've had to provide this year i think the number given to me was going was about 450,000 uh and luckily even though you know businesses were impacted mm-hmm. by the pandemic. And so that impacted donations that they would normally get in, in a normal year, but other people were able to step up to help uh, provide the money they needed to help uh, fill the need uh, with the increase in services required. And so the farm though, is a, is a different entity than Blanche house. And so at the farm, you have a situation where uh, they, they really try to use the farm setting with the animals uh, with the bees in the case of Jordan, who, who became a beekeeper, huh. um, to give th- the men something to do. And what, how Kerman, Scott Kerman, the director described it was if they can put effort and, and caring and love into something living, um, and then get that back, even whether it's a pig, <laughs> whether it's a cow, whether it's right. anything that that's very therapeutic. And then they can just see the value in what they can, provide to another being and and then that love coming back. And and one of the things he said that I thought was uh, very telling and, and people had told him this who had suffered from addiction was that, you know, addiction is all consuming. It, it's very selfish. It's very, it's all about you and you tend to not think about anybody else. And therefore you don't have those um, interpersonal relationships with other humans or other beings anymore because you're so consumed by your addiction. So something as simple as going out and feeding the pigs or, or cleaning the pig stall, or in the case of Jordan, taking care of bees and learning how to do that just takes their mind to a different place and helps with their recovery. 
what's it like for you um, to do a story like this? I know you you said that you've you think you profiled the same organization a, a long time ago, but yeah. you know your your normal job you're covering covering sports and um, getting to know athletes and sharing you know game insights. But what, what's it like for you to do a, a story like this? Yeah, you know I, I covered news at the Oregonian for a long time for like seven years. I covered education, city government, and crime. So I had done stories like this before. Uh, in the past, in addition to Blanche, I think I did a season sh- a sharing story like every year for several years. Um, but it ha- it's been a while since I've done a story like this because, yeah, I'm dealing mainly with, <clears throat> you know, pampered athletes <laughs> you know, <laughs> who are worried about, you know, their next contract or going pro or got to win the big game. You know, it's, it's a very superficial world. I mean, it just is. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was nice. You know, and, and in sports, I mean, you know, in sports, there are hardship stories like, you know, Blazers Rodney Hood was talking yesterday about, you know, he's lost his father-in-law, his AAU coach and his brother in the last year. So like there's hardship in sports, but this is different. You know, Rodney Hood's still a multimillionaire. This young man, Jordan, is trying to, you know, set his life straight and, and battle schizophrenia and addiction. And, um, you know, that's, that's m- way more down to earth, obviously way more serious. And, it, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was a good experience to, to write that type of story again. Uh, so Aaron, if, if readers, uh, or listeners donate to season of sharing, what, what would their donation mean if they earmarked it for Blanche house? Yeah. You know, the donations go, uh, toward obviously, you know, clothes, food to support the house and, and pay, you know, employees who help, you know, with, um, obviously, uh, counseling the young men, et cetera, et cetera. And also, you know, there's another component that, that just hit me. Um, I wrote this like, it seems like two months ago. So some of the information is coming back, but this is an yeah. important element is that they have, they have another property that they've owned for a long time that they want to convert into a facility for women. Like right now, women and kids can go to Blanche house and get food or clothing or help, et cetera, but there's no housing for them like they do for the men. And so they want to convert this other house. Uh, I think it's called, it's called the Riley house. I think it's in Southeast. Portland. I'm not positive. Yeah, it's um, in North, Northwest. Northwest Portland. Okay. Uh, they want to convert that into a facility for women to mirror the farm and Blanche house. And that obviously is a huge undertaking. They have to totally, you know, remodel the home, you know, so they're, they're, they're looking into starting a campaign fund for that. So I don't think donations right now would necessarily go to that, but everyone should understand that donations would not just help men. They do help women and children as well. Just not in a living, a live in situation. And it can be as simple as $5 can help provide $5, a, a meal, right? $30, a meal, clothes, yeah. clothes is a big thing. I mean, after I did this show, actually, I, I went through my closet and I was like, I have a ton of stuff that I haven't worn in a year. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, you know, I'm bagging it up and I'm gonna take it down there. Cause it's probably, you know, a, a man down there, my size who could use, a you know, whatever I, I bring. So, you know, clothes, clothing is like, clothing is a huge thing. I think we all have, you know, purges we could do with our closets and, and not just throw it away or whatever. Goodwill is a good place to take it. But I think taking it somewhere like Blanche House where they can, you know, provide, you know, usable clothing for people who may not have it. Well, thanks so much for highlighting their work and for taking time to talk about it. Thanks for having me. Jayathi, thanks for taking time to talk today. Absolutely. To start, could you tell us a little bit about the organization you profiled? So Clackamas Volunteers in Medicine is a free clinic based in Oregon City. 
uh, and their goal is to serve uninsured or underinsured people throughout the county. So I spoke with a woman named Miriam Sanchez. She is a single mom of four, and she doesn't use the clinic anymore. She's now insured, but she used the clinic for about five years. And uh, she said it was crucial for her because she was at a point in her life where it was really difficult to prioritize her own health care. Uh, she's a caregiver for her own child with special needs. Uh, and so she said that she found it really helpful because she could go to the clinic at any time. And, you know, if she needed help with um, high blood pressure or hypothyroidism, uh, she could go there without worrying about getting turned away. Uh, she also is primarily a Spanish speaker, and she said she never faced any uh, kind of discrimination or issues with a language barrier. And she said that was really crucial for her in um, feeling comfortable and seeking out essential care. So um, who's behind this organization? Obviously, it's in the name, but they're volunteers. But can you describe a little bit about um, who they are? The organization is staffed by about 200 volunteers, and that includes uh, doctors, nurses, phlebotomists. It's there's a few paid staff, but it's really primarily volunteer driven. Uh, it was started in 2011. Volunteers in medicine is a, there are clinics by that name nationwide. Mm -hmm. uh, there's only a few in Oregon and they're all independently run. Uh, and so, as I said, the goal is just to meet that need for, of basic healthcare for people who can't access it otherwise. And so, um, their goal is to get people to a place where they're stable and ultimately get them to a place where they can find consistent insured health care. We're living through a pandemic right now. What did the organizers of this group say they need or, or what's this year been like for them and for the people that they serve? So like most organizations and most people, the pandemic has affected them. It has limited the amount of uh, volunteers that can be in the clinic at any given time. Mm -hmm. Anybody who is able to work from home is working from home. Uh, and, you know, the number of people that are able to be seen, it's it's slowed it a bit. However, they've adapted pretty well uh, and they've pivoted pretty strongly to telehealth. And according to some of the staff that I spoke to, it is difficult. It does have its challenges, but it's also been kind of an you know a blessing in disguise for some of the patients because a lot of them are you know working jobs they may be working two or three jobs uh, yeah. where it's really difficult to take a day off to come and get some health care and so being able to go on their lunch break and just call or you know do a FaceTime appointment has really been a, a beneficial for some people and so I don't think they're planning to lean into telehealth especially hard after whenever the pandemic is over. Uh, but that has been sort of a hidden, hidden benefit for them. And uh, in normal times, how do they get their funding? Partially from grants uh, and from community donations. Uh, and they, they have about one, they have one large fundraiser per year, as well as a few smaller ones. Uh, but any, any donations that, are given to them at this time of year will be going towards uh, helping them raise money to move into a more permanent and central location. So currently they operate out of a converted warehouse in Oregon City, uh, and they're hoping that with enough funds, they'll be able to move uh, to a more permanent place and hopefully to a place that's big enough to 
allow them to offer other services like a pharmacy, as well as mental and reproductive health services. Anything else that listeners should know if they're considering making a donation through Season of Sharing to benefit this group? You know, it's a it's a clinic that's helped a lot of people. They serve about 700 people a year. And as one of the staff members told me, that's not even scratching the surface of people that need help in Clackamas County. So anything that you can give will definitely help them. Well, thank you for shedding a light on the work that they do and for taking time to talk about it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with The Oregonian. There are nine more organizations that need your support. Read more about them at OregonLive.com slash sharing. I'll also link to our fundraising page in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Help spread the word. Until next time.